Welcome to Working Matters. I'm Claudia Rimple. My name is Carl Edwards. Carl, today we are continuing our series on surviving a bad boss. I don't know how people do it. <laughs> and we're starting today with the micromanager, which I think is uh, probably a personal favorite. Yeah, this is the person that drives more people crazy than anyone. I've had my experience with a micromanager boss, and one of the things I found most frustrating about it was that they just didn't really let me do my job the way I wanted to, even if it would have produced the same results with the same amount of excellency, with the same amount of timeline, a shorter timeline. It was always, oh, you're doing it wrong. Everything has to be adjusted. Even if just a little, everything comes back different. To me, it was so demoralizing. That was the creativity that I brought to the job, but I wasn't able to really express myself. Well, and that's the main thing a micromanager doesn't see, is the value of the individual contributions that his team can bring to the table. Their focus is on the product or the outcomes they're looking for, and that's all that they can see. And since they're in charge, they feel responsible for how that comes out and it coming out as best as possible. And of course, their eyes are the clearest in their perspective. So everything that comes along needs to be tweaked a little. Well, tell us more about being inside the mind of the micromanager. It's not a pleasant place. <laughs> I'm sure they're in a panic all the time if they, they feel they need to control they're in everything. They're panic all the time, yes. Let's just preface this that these are generalizations and they don't apply to everybody who is um, second-guessing their team. But there comes a um, responsibility in most promotions and a new role, and most leaders do not feel competent to be in the role they're in. And they are constantly trying to prove themselves and establish their credibility. I call it over-the-shoulders management. They're really, instead of looking at their team and what everybody could bring to the effort, they're looking back over their shoulders at how they're going to be evaluated and whether they're going to get the results, they're going to make it or not. And so. That's a consuming place to be, and really that fills your vision. There's not eyes to see much else. So then you lash out by trying to have everything be at your standards so that you always, you can, nobody can tell you that you're doing something wrong. Exactly, and the only way to make that happen is to, to control as much as possible. Because the more you give over decisions and outcomes to other people, the less control you have over them, and they will most likely come out in ways that you either don't expect or ways that are very different than how you would have them come out. Or in some cases, sure, they don't come out very well at all, and you do get some bad product. And that's a risk they're not willing to take. So how do we go about dealing with this sort of situation? I'm sure it's very common. It's a level of complete frustration. For me, it was a level of complete frustration. Didn't make me want to go to work. Didn't make me want to try my hardest. I mean, I still tried to do what was best, but, you know, there were days where I didn't try my hardest. Sure. Well, your best starting point is to find a way for yourself first to affirm what this leader values. Say this is a good thing that they have such a high standard or that they really want their value as customer service, and they're telling everybody how to talk on the phone, almost to, as if they're scripting out your relationships for you. Mm -hmm. If you can firm their goal and communicate that to them, the first thing you've accomplished is that you're on their side, that if you want to do something different or differently, or if you want to give them to give you more leeway, you're not on a different team, and you're not going out to be better so the conversation would be like, I know you value this, micromanager boss, and I want to help you accomplish this. This is the way that, or maybe you don't give specifics to how you 
want to do something. No, you never want to give them specifics because their style will immediately be to tweak your specific or to tell you you're wrong or to tell you you're doing it differently. What you want to establish is this relationship of trust that they know you're on their side. Mm -hmm. Not in the political sense, but in the what you're about. That reduces the fear of if something different happens, that it's not going to accomplish the goal. Then what you want to do is you want to see where your responsibilities begin and end in your own job description. And if something's in your job description, I suggest to people to experiment with not passing things by their supervisor and take a chance on something, on a chance on what that reaction will be. I think the reaction will not be hugely negative if you've established you're on the same side, though you may get some reaction like, you used to pass those memos by me. Right, but it's sort of not giving over not kind of acquiescing control that really is your responsibility. Exactly. What we're saying is that I'm contributing to the situation where everything I do is changed on me by, let's use the example of a office-wide correspondence. You're going to send out a memo to the entire team. Well, you're the one who took the memo into hand and got up and walked across the office and put it on their desk for them to approve. So you've actually participated in creating a situation where your work is going to be undermined on you. So where we want to try is not contributing to that situation. So if that's in your job description, we're not saying go outside of it yet. If that's in your job description that you're responsible for organizing such and such of an event and you're sending out an office-wide communication on it, just do your job. Most of the time, you'll probably get no reaction. In the case that um, a supervisor would come and say, hey, uh, everything needs to be passed by me, and you go back to taking their side. Like, oh yeah, but that's in my job description, and I didn't want it to take your time and your attention Mm -hmm. and the other things you need to focus on for something that I can handle myself. So again, you're articulating why you didn't pass it by in such a way as supporting them. So it's not just some way to undermine their authority or... Or get your own emotional therapy by kind of sticking it to them, you know. Right. Heck, if I'm going to let you do grammar on me. I'm a professional. That's not the place to get out those negative feelings of how you've been treated in the past. Now, most of us, Carl, probably feel that we can't talk to our boss in a more frank manner. But, you know, it's it's safe to say sometimes that, you know, because we don't approach them, they won't ever know how their actions are affecting others. How do you distinguish or how do you have a conversation where or at least try to feel for a conversation Mm -hmm. that might give them insight into how they're treating others. Yeah, that's a great point. I always say no feedback is positive feedback. If you don't let somebody know how it's coming across, you are um, encouraging that behavior. You're saying that works. Well, again, we want to put things in terms of what the company's about. And you said it well at the start of our time today. If you could articulate that such and such a responsibility increases your motivation and is the best part of your job for you. And if you got to make those decisions yourself, you just feel your energy levels would double. And to have to pass everything by someone else serves the opposite effect, then you have a basis for a conversation. I would keep it real practical and suggest something specific. Not a personal attack. Well, yes, to go on the <laughs> personal attack route, that generally. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be like, you're a jerk and I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> that would might you, not work for you. Would you stop being a jerk, please? <laughs> yeah. <No>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more, pra- more about the job. More about the job. And I would like to take this task and see it from beginning to end and be responsible for the end thing 
working, achieving the outcomes, getting the results. You're not reducing your accountability. You're not reducing them as supervisor. You're changing where it takes place. You need it to move to the end because what will give you energy is to be in charge of everything in between in that example, to see a task through from beginning to end. And there are certain people who enjoy their work being text all the time because they want to see that they're on the right milestone. Oh, yes, that's a great point. We all have our own working styles as well. And there's a type of person who thrives when they know exactly what their supervisor is looking for. Tell me what you want. And they get a lot of energy out of making it look just like that. And, you know, if you are aware that you struggle with control issues and you keep telling people what to do, you might make that a part of your staffing plan. And to look for somebody who really enjoys fulfilling the details as you see them. You know, not hire the, the professional who wants to make all the decisions themselves. But in the awkward situation where you're wanting to make decisions that your supervisor insists on making, you're looking for opportunities to change where in the process they have their say-so. Another alternative, and maybe we'll close with this one, is to incorporate it in your performance evaluation. Is to say that next year... I want you to hold me accountable for achieving and come up with three outcomes. And this year, I will make those three things happen and set up that scenario. And what you're doing by saying, I want to be evaluated in terms of achieving the outcomes, is you're, you're giving them a way to fulfill their responsibility to the company of oversight, of staying in touch. But you are structuring it you know, where that oversight will take place. And then asking, you know, saying that the latitude on the way there will help you get a greater outcome. And it may just be that your boss just needs a little more information, like they're micromanaging because you're not very well at telling them what is going on in general terms. Exactly. If you can find ways to communicate along the way the information that make them feel good, like they know what's going on and aren't off in isolation or feel that you're off in isolation, that goes a long way to reducing those fears. Again, the key is, are you doing it for the boss or are you doing it for yourself? And if you're doing it for yourself, that's where you're going to get mixed up a little. If you just need to have no accountability, if you just need to have no one checking your work ever, and you just don't want that kind of results-oriented responsibility, then you got to come to terms with that. That's not your boss's fault. Yeah, that's a personal problem. <laughs> well, I think that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Carl, for your insights. Um, I hope they prove helpful to people who are in these situations. Yeah, next week we'll look at maybe the visionary boss. So we've got two kind of overpowering boss styles, the micromanager and then the kind of one who's off in ideal land. Then we'll go to the kind of two underwhelming or ways bosses don't show up as much as they could. Well, I got to tell that. you, I, I have another story for a visionary boss. I've also worked for the idea boss as well. So I can't wait till next week. It's like my personal therapy here on the show. <laughs> Uh, the bill will be in the mail. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And you can contact us at www.boldenterprises.com. And stay tuned next week for the continuing saga of Claudia's traumatic work experiences. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This podcast is a Bold Enterprises production. 